So uh, we are on the precipice of a new year. I wanted to use that word because I've never used that word before in a sentence, and now I feel complete. Um, but in all seriousness, we're, we're at the beginning, or we're at the end of 2020. We're beginning a new year, and, I, uh, and, and I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm excited uh, in, uh, for so many reasons, but one of the main reasons is I, I'm kind of glad about leaving 2020 behind us a little bit in hopes that 2021 will be a little bit different. But let's be real, uh, Just let's just be realistic right now. New Year's is really an arbitrary date, is it not? I mean, it's really, it's not as if on January 2nd or January 1st that all of a sudden absolutely everything's going to change, right? And we know this from resolutions that we make. So we're going to say in the new year, all right, we make this, you know, in November or something like that, because really the new year is all about procrastination. It's about looking forward to something that you don't want to do now, but you're going to plan on doing in the, in the future. So in October, you say in the new year, I'm going to work on my diet. I'm going to get slim. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to get in shape. And then January 1st, you go to the gym and you eat broccoli, right? And you put what you don't buy those snacks at the store. And then on January 2nd, what do you do? In the new year, I'm going to watch my diet, right? You got 363 more days to wait, but you're going to wait that long to get it done. It's all about procrastination, right? And so it's all about the new year, but it's really an arbitrary date. But that arbitrary date does mean something to us. It means something to us, and it's something that we look forward to. And it is really some sort of like built-in mechanism. It just feels different, doesn't it? It feels different going into the new year, even though it's just another day. It's just another day, but when we go into it, we feel like, man, I can start over. It's kind of like when you go back into the office on that, on that very first day, right, after the holidays and everything, and not everything, I don't know if this is like you all or if you all remember this, but when I go back into that office on the very first day, the students aren't back into class yet, right? Not everything's geared up, and I can clean my office. I can get it rearranged. I can set things. That, I can get all my number two pencils in the right, if anybody uses those anymore, I can get them right in the right cup and all that kind of stuff. I can get my stapler out and my tape, and I can just straighten up my office. Now, ne the next week, it's, it's absolutely obliterated again, sort of like my side of the bedroom. But I mean, that's just what we kind of look forward to, right? It's that new year, that arbitrary date just does mean something different. Well, this year, uh, in, in lieu of what we have experienced in 2020, uh, I want to do a couple things, all right? The first thing I want to do is this, because this entire year we've been talking about all the bad things, and wouldn't you know it that on Christmas morning we experience another bad thing with the explosion in Tennessee, right? And praise God that it didn't harm more people uh, than it did, um, so we can be thankful for that. It, it's a little bit disconcerting that we don't know all the ins and outs of that, and for all those people that can't get on their cell phones, I know that they're in crisis mode right now, okay? But in all seriousness, um, that is, uh, that's a little bit disconcerting, but, in, but what I want to do is I want to look back at 2020 just for a second, and I'm not going to make a list or anything, but there were some highlights in 2020. There were some things that happened in our life that we can say thank God for, right? I guarantee you that every one of us have one or two things at least that we can look back and we can say, man, you know, it wasn't all that bad, right? It was rough. It was a rough year, but it wasn't all that bad. There were some things 
that we can say, you know, I can see the Lord working there, right? One of the things that I can say uh, that I experienced that was very positive for me was the fact that I got to spend an extended time at home with my family. I've not spent that much time with my family in a long time. Crystal working downstairs, me working upstairs, Lucas doing something, and Jackson on his computer. You know, I mean, it. We but we were all there. We could eat lunch together and all that kind of stuff. Now, I don't, I don't pray for another pandemic just so we can all be in the same house together. I don't know if we could stand it for another year, all right? But for at least one year, it was kind of a delight just to be in the same room for a little while, right? But looking forward looking forward, we need to prepare ourselves for this new year and to get in the right frame of mind for it and uh, be ready uh, for what the Lord has for us. And so what I want to talk about this morning, in, in, uh, in the, the main thing I want to talk about this morning is this idea of renewal and restoration, this idea of pursuing Christ uh, with our entire being, with our whole selves, and making sure that He is the center of all that we are doing. Now, one of the things I've really enjoyed doing, uh, one of the things I love about social media, and I'm not a, a massive fan of social media. I use it. I see, uh, unfortunately, I, I see probably more negative things about it than positive, uh, but there are some positive things. And one of the things that I really, really love is I like watching videos, these short videos on social media, usually Facebook, of individuals restoring things. I love seeing that. I love watching the videos. They're usually high speed because it takes time and stuff, but you're seeing them restore things. And usually I'm watching these at 11 o'clock at night, lying in bed with this big glaring light in my eyes and Crystal trying to sleep. And she says, and I love this, honey, I've got to tell them, that's awful bright, which is her basically saying, shut your phone off and go to bed. So a half hour later, I do that. But, but until then, I'm on the phone, I'm watching these guys restoring the coolest things. So like a Tonka truck or some sort of toy truck, toy metal truck, everything's plastic now. But these are like metal trucks that have been dug out of somebody's garage or storage bin or the yard, and they have found them, and they're rusted and coated with all sorts of things, and they take them apart, and they restore them back to their original condition. And I love watching that. It's just amazing seeing that happen. I watched one last night of them taking this red fire truck. I mean, it was completely mangled. It had a broken windshield. And when they got done with that, it was like good as new. It's like it came right off the shelf. Another one that was really, really interesting was that they found a lighter, a Zippo lighter from Vietnam that actually had the soldier's name on the lighter. And they took that lighter apart and I know everything about a lighter now. I know exactly how they work. And they cleaned that thing up and buffed it and took all the rust off of it and shined that up, and it was good as new. It was like it just came off the shelf. And that got me thinking about this new year and renewal and restoration and all that. And I was like, man, I wish that could happen to me. But then I thought about it just a little bit. I was like, Christ has done something so much better than that. He did not just make us like, uh, like make us good as new. He made us new. We have been transformed by Christ, not just renovated. All right. When Christ came into our lives, he didn't just renovate us. He didn't just like wipe off the rust and clean us up a little bit and do that sort of thing. He made us a new creature. He made us a new being. He gave us a new heart. 
And so that's what I want to look at this morning. This morning's message is entitled, Resting in His Perfect Will. And it comes from Romans 12, 1 through 2. And we're going to look at one specific, or two verses, but we're going to look at one particular statement in this. So this is what it says here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I like that phrase in there, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this verse. We thank you for this entire book of Romans. Uh, that Paul so uh, eloquently uh, put down on paper, uh, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that text. We thank you for the, these two verses, Father. And I pray that as we read these, we're encouraged that as we move into this new uh, calendar year, that we can uh, be more faithful uh, to you, more faithful to your text, and more faithful in uh, in obedience. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to briefly uh, walk through. We're still in our sort of abbreviated message uh, series, if you will. I want to walk through uh, these two verses, and I want to just highlight a few phrases, and I want to give you some thoughts about it. Now, to be, to be honest with you, this is not an overly complicated passage at all. Um, it it kind of preaches itself. We can be motivated. We can be encouraged and motivated by that. And you don't need somebody necessarily commenting on it. And the truth is, all of chapter twelve of Romans. So we're walking through Romans right now on Wednesday nights. All of chapter twelve is this exhortation to the church uh, to to be like Christ, to to live as Christ, to to be the church, and and to um, love one another as Christ has loved us. Uh, but these two verses are, are the introduction to this, this initial exhortation. And I want to highlight just a few uh, statements. And, and the first is this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in view of the mercies of God, uh, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And so Paul is saying that there is true worship and then there is false worship, all right? There is something that's not true by saying that. So I want to break that phrase up and I just want to highlight just a few things. So the first he says is, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, he wants to remind us about the mercies of God. Now, if you read the previous two chapters, he talks about his mercy, he talks about his mercy. He talks about the role of Israel, the place of Israel, the role of the Gentiles, the place of the Gentiles. He's talked about in the previous two or three chapters this idea that he is calling people unto himself, that he is making for himself a people, and it may not be the people that you think they are, all right? It may not be the original individuals that, uh, that, they, that Israel had thought of, that God has a, a, a plan here, um, that that they had not quite wrapped their minds around. 
all right, that not all of Israel was actually Israel and not all Gentiles uh, should be cast out, but that there are going to be some of Israel that's going to remain and that there are going to be some of Israel that are not truly Israel. And then there are going to be some Gentiles that are going to be grafted in, but he's showing his mercy through all of this. And so he says, in view of the mercies of God, God demonstrates his mercy in several ways, in many, many ways. Now, what is mercy in general? Well, mercy is this idea that something negative could happen to you and likely should happen to you, maybe in a punitive way, but because somebody has demonstrated grace towards you, that wrath or that punitive uh, insult is not going to occur. That's mercy. I have mercy on you. You're not going to get what you deserve. We've known in the, in the news here recently that the president has the prerogative, all presidents have done this throughout, uh, throughout our history, have this prerogative of being able to pardon individuals for crimes they have committed, legitimate, I mean, they're, they're convicted criminals, and, but they are pardoned for those crimes or sentences are commuted. So we've seen this. And so some might say that that is a demonstration of mercy, um, if you will. So, but how does God demonstrate mercy to us? His mercy is revealed in that he doesn't judge us immediately and punitively for our sin. So our sin could require immediate punishment, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. His mercy is revealed through His common grace. You know, we talk about how 2020 is as bad as it is, but the truth is it's not near as bad as it could have been. If God had removed His hand from us at any moment, this could have gone downhill real quick, right? And so His mercy is revealed through His common grace. His mercy is revealed in that He has provided a way of reconciliation. God provided a way for us to be united with the Father, and it comes through Jesus Christ. That's mercy. His mercy is revealed through the fact that Gentiles have been grafted in. That's an excellent truth, and it demonstrates mercy. His mercy is revealed through the joy that the prodigal can return home. That's mercy. His mercy is revealed that, in general, His will is not secret. Now, we're not going to get into the secret will of God and the revealed will of God. That's not what we're going into. But in general, God's will is not a secret to us. We know it. How do we know it? We have His Word. We have the Word of God, which reveals His will to us, and He didn't keep that hidden to us. We know what His priorities are. We know what He aims for us. When we step in to a new year, we cannot rightly stand by and say, I don't know what God wants from me. Now, you may not know the specific context in your life. You don't have a crystal ball and you're able to rub that ball or the genie on the lamp. We watched Aladdin last night. That was funny. But anyway, and you're not going to have this big genie pop out of a lamp and say, this is what I want. That's not what this life entails. But we do know God's general will for our lives and we can follow that in an obedient fashion. And so his will is not secret. He's not keeping things secret from us. And then all of a sudden, we step in a hole, and he said, ha, you didn't know that was there. No, the holes are revealed. And so these are the mercies of God. And so he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, 
He says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so he is intending for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, some have taken that to mean that that he means literally our bodies, that physically our bodies are to be presented as a sacrifice. That's a wrong way of approaching this. This is not not what Paul intends by using that phrase. When he says bodies, what he means is our whole selves. We are to present our whole selves as, Body, mind, spirit, emotions, everything that encompasses us as human beings, we are to present to God as living sacrifices. What does that mean? It means that there is not one facet of our created being that is not His already. We are God's. We are His. He created us. He owns us. He owns us. And we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. So what does that mean? First of all, it's not purely physical, but it's also spiritual. Second, and this is important, our lives are not to be rationed out to different masters. And what I mean by that is we don't say, well, I'm going to give this part of myself to God, but I'm going to give this part of myself in my life to my job. I'm going to give this part of myself to entertainment. I'm going to give this part of myself to my family. But, you know, and so you kind of ration it out to different masters. You can't have more than one master. Everything that we are is given to the Lord. Christ is the center of all that we do. And everything else revolves around that. Absolutely everything else. Whatever you do, you do it for the Lord. Sometimes, what else does it mean that uh, we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices? That sometimes living for the Lord is painful, is it not? Living for Christ can be painful. Sacrifice is not easy. Sacrifice is not popular. Sacrifice is not just for the dead, but it's for the living. We are to sacrifice. And so I've said it this this sort of way, is that sacrifice is, is simple. It's a simple concept, but it's not easy. It's not easy. It can be painful. It means giving yourself totally and wholly for the Lord means that there are going to be consequences. And what we have to do is we have to weigh those consequences. We have to say giving ourselves fully to the Lord is more important than anything detrimental or seemingly detrimental that could be caused by us being obedient in that fashion. And we've got to say the Lord is worth it the entire time. We present ourselves as living sacrifices. That means our whole being is committed into obedience to Christ. And so he says, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. God desires true worship, not false worship. So true worship makes Christ the center, not anything created. True worship is brought about by sacrifice, not through comfort. True worship is simple, but not easy. True worship can be painful because it requires sacrifice. And true worship denies self in order to make much of God. And so that's what true worship entails. I am, I am concerned. Now, I, I want to be careful how I say this. I enjoy, and I, in fact, I love contemporary worship styles. Now, when I say that, I don't mean the music that we just sang, all right? That's a part of it. That's a part of it. 
okay? But what I'm talking about is I'm talking the whole thing, okay? Everything that we do as the body of Christ in order to worship, all right? Now, I love it. I thrive in it. I think that I was, uh, I don't think that I was uh, born too late, all right? I think that I was born right at the right time. I mean, I really enjoy uh, our the worship style that we're in right now. However, I do worry sometimes that we are too enthralled with entertainment as opposed to worship. And those two things are different. Those two things are different. Is that worship should not always be the most comfortable thing in the world. Is that worship oftentimes should cause us to, to maybe, uh, maybe cringe a little bit, not at the Lord, but at ourselves. It should, true worship should cause us to think about repentance and the sin in our lives and cause us to, uh, cause us to uh, demonstrate emotions that aren't necessarily uh, tied with the entertainment culture that we have been so privy to. And so true worship is different than what necessarily the world might see. And what we see here is that all of this is in view of the mercies of God. And so our worship stems from sacrifice, and it all is in view of the mercies of God. So therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So this is what Paul is exhorting the church to do. This is what he wants us to do, okay? Now, what he's going to say next is he's going to demonstrate how that in general is to be accomplished. Now, if you continue to read in chapter 12, he's going to talk more about specifics. We're not going to go into specifics today. We're talking about generalities, and that's what Paul's mentioning in this second verse. But the first is he wants us, in view of the mercies of God, present ourselves as living sacrifices so that we can truly worship the Lord. And then he says this in the second verse, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And so let's just kind of tackle that verse for a little bit, this idea of being conformed and transformed. Now, everyone, and I do mean everyone, conforms themselves to something. They just do. I think sometimes we like to think that we are exceptionally unique, but we're really not. We're really not unique, okay? We get our style from something. We learn our, we, our personalities are shaped by something or someone, all right? We're always conforming ourselves to something, right? It might be our parents. It might be our friends. Hopefully, it's a good role model, Right? Hopefully, that's why parents are so concerned about the, the, the people that our kids are hanging out with, right? because we don't want our kids to be hanging out with individuals that are bad influences, because what's going to happen? Oftentimes, those kids conform to those individuals, right? And so everyone is conforming themselves to something. We are never completely unique. We are always taking what exists and then making it our own, and so conforming to what exists even if we adapt it to our preferences. And so that's what we're kind of doing. And so far too often, we are conforming ourselves to the world. And that's what Paul is arguing against here. He says, do not be conformed to this age. Do not look at the world around you and say, I want to be just like that, because that which you are looking at is passing away. 
That is going to be gone. What you see is temporary. Everything that you are trying to model yourself after will be completely and utterly gone. Far too often we are conformed to the world, to our culture, to our peers, regardless of the consequences. And so as Christians, we do not seek to be conformed, but rather to be transformed. We don't want to be like the world around us. We want to be transformed into someone that looks like Christ. And this is why this idea of restoration and renewal, even though I like those videos, it's not a great analogy. Because no matter how hard you try to transform yourself or, or conform yourself or restore yourself or renew yourself or improve yourself, I'm going to improve myself in this new year. You will never be able to do for yourself what Christ intends to do for you. He's not merely restoring you back to something you were. He is transforming you into something new. When we are conforming ourselves to the world and to the age, we are simply taking what we, we are simply taking what already exists and making our own. And so we're adopting habits and activities in order to conform to what is popular. When we present ourselves as living sacrifices to God, we are then transformed. We become something different. We're not merely restored, but we are made new. We are not merely renewed, but we are reborn. And that's something to remember in this new year. Is that first of all, if you're wanting to be more like Christ, if you're wanting to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that does not happen by sheer willpower. That does not happen by sheer pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That does not happen by joining a self-help group and reading motivational books. That's not how it happens. It only happens through the power of Christ working in you. And so in, as we move in to this new year, this arbitrary calendar, wanting to be improved, wanting to be better, wanting to make this year sort of that pinnacle year for ourselves, just remember that if Christ is not the center of that, you're only playing in somebody else's story. You're only conforming to something that already exists and honestly is not that unique in the first place. Commit yourself to Christ and see real change, dramatic change. Serving Christ is not a different way of living, thinking, and worshiping. Serving Christ is not just one way amongst many other ways to live your life. Well, you choose to live that way. I'm going to choose to live following Christ. Too oftentimes we talk about choices. Well, it's just a choice. As if there are other legitimate choices out there. 
Folks, this is something wholly different than that. Serving Christ is not a different way of living, thinking, and worshiping. It's a new way of living, thinking, and worshiping. It's a completely different life that we're now living. We love different, we serve different, and we sacrifice different after we've been transformed by Christ. That's what we need to be going for in this new year, is that if we're not Christians, moving into this, say, Christ, save me, save me, give me new life so that I can truly live for you, so that I'm not just playing house, so that I'm not a hypocrite, so that I'm not just joining the band, I'm not just a roadie, but that I'm actually in Christ, that I'm part of the fold, and that if we are Christians, that we live our lives in light of that. It means that we react differently. It means that when somebody, when somebody harms us or hurts us or insults us, or to use the language of social media, trolls us, we respond differently. We don't respond in this uncontrolled anger, in this, this, uh, this kind of this, um, crankiness and this obsceneness that the world has grown so accustomed to, that we, we respond in compassion and kindness and love. I'm not saying it's never wrong to get angry, but we get angry about the dumbest things, do we not? I was telling them earlier about a friend of mine on Facebook that was being trolled by this real jerk. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what I mean by trolled, basically somebody posted something on Facebook that was completely harmless and somebody got on there in the comment section and just started being mean, just being hateful for really no reason. And I'd had it. So I wrote the best response I think I've ever written. Oh my goodness, this should go on a plaque. And I hit enter. Unfortunately, my buddy had already removed the comment, so it didn't go public, but oh well. I still have it in my heart. I know what I wrote, and it was good. But in seriousness, all right, I get it, okay? I get that that's what we want to do, but we respond differently now that we are in Christ. The social media thing is a, is a small thing, but there are big things in this life that we need to respond differently to. And so he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you say, for what? So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. As we step into the new year, we have all these goals that we want to do. I'm going to read the Bible uh, through in this year. I'm going to attend more. I'm going to attend church more faithfully. I'm going to get my finances under wrap. I'm going to get my eating under wrap. Right now, by the way, none of those things are bad. Absolutely, none of those things are bad. I hope that for everybody. All right, I hope every one of us eat more broccoli this year. Okay, I just do or asparagus, or whatever you want to eat, okay? I hope that's what we do. But in the grand scheme of things, those are just, th those are small potatoes. What we really need to desire, and this is what I hope for for our church in this coming year, that we discern, as he says here, that we discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. That's what I want for our church, that as a church, we will discern what God's good and pleasing will is for us as a body of Christ in our context. 
How in the new year do we as a church serve Christ faithfully in the context that we're in? And when I mean context, I mean in the facility that we're in, in the neighborhood that we're in, in the current crisis that we're in. How do we continue to serve God faithfully? Do we continue to do the same thing that we've always done or that other churches are doing, conforming to other individuals? Or do we want to be more or less transformed, all right, and do something uh, within the will of God, making an impact for, his commu- for this community that we, that we have prov- providentially been placed in? So I want us to be in God's will as a church, but I want us to also be in God's will individually. Because here's the deal, as a church, we cannot be in God's will if we are not in God's will individually. That's what our goal should be in this new year. And by the way, today is December 27th. Remember I told you that New Year's is all about procrastination. Folks, don't wait until January 1st. If you want to read the Bible through, get a four-day head start. Get a four-day head start. If you want to concentrate on your prayer life, get a four-day head start. All right? It's an arbitrary date. Start seeking the will of God right now. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Only the individual who has been transformed, reborn in Christ, can truly discern his will for their lives. You can read this Bible cover to cover, Every page, study it, know the Greek, know the Hebrew. And you could be able to to walk through the history of it, the nuances of it. You could even be able to legitimately, in a conservative theological fashion, talk about what the authors intend with these passages. And you'd be right. But unless you have been reborn into the image of Christ, you will not be transformed by this text. I think I've said this before, but I had very, I had several professors in my undergrad who knew the Bible inside and out. They knew the Greek, they knew the Hebrew. This is not in seminary, this is this is an undergrad. They were so good, they were biblical scholars. They traveled to Israel and were digging up artifacts in Jerusalem. It was amazing. They were very, very well-rounded theological scholars. But it was also true that what they knew so much about them had not changed their life one bit because they had not been transformed by Christ. God's will for our lives is found in God's Word, but only the believer can read God's Word, discern God's will, and then have the sacrificial and worshipful gumption to actually be able to apply it to their lives. And God's will can be painful, but it's perfect. God's will for us can be and often is painful, but it's perfect. God's will can be hard, but it's holy. God's will calls for sacrifice, but it also sanctifies. 
God's will is simple, but it is not easy. God's will is not about earning, but it's about resting. And that's what I want us to do in the new year. Start by just resting in God's perfect will for your life. Rest in it. Realize that Christ is the center of everything. And that we're not merely conforming to Christ, but we're being transformed daily by Jesus. It may not improve your dietary habits. (laughs) It may not improve your finances. But it will make an impact for the kingdom. And so as we step in, we, we turn the page on 2020, looking forward to 2021, and I absolutely will not say anything about having a 2021 vision. Will not do it. All I want us to have is to have our eyes on Christ. Set our eyes on Him, set our minds on Him, and commit ourselves to that. And then everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall into place.